Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. What's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here, and today I am thrilled to be joined by one of my very close friends, Mr. Shane Sams, for episode 447 of the Speaker Lab podcast. Let's go. Now, Shane and I have uh, so many things in common. One of the things that we love is our families. We love how speaking and entrepreneurship has allowed us to prioritize our families. Shane is a phenomenal husband and dad. Together with his wife, he runs a great business called Flip Lifestyle, where they help others start online businesses and reach entrepreneurial freedom. Now, Shane and I could have a great conversation about pretty much anything, and he is indeed one of my closest friends, but today he's going to be sharing some great strategies for keeping your audience engaged and preparing and polishing different types of talks. So whether you're a keynote speaker, a workshop leader, a mix of both, Shane has some tips on how to make the most of any speaking opportunity. He's going to dive into how you can put processes into place that set you up for success, whether it's structuring your talk, storytelling, or using humor. And like every great speaker, he has special systems and frameworks that he applies no matter where he's speaking. So he's going to clue us in on what those are and how you can apply them in your own speaking. I am really excited for you to listen to today's conversation because Shane is a, a really, really inspirational guy. He has a, a massive love for his family that shines through everything that he does. The uh, emotional moment that led him to pull the plug on his day job, become an entrepreneur is just one of those great stories that you're going to hear today. So if you are stuck working in nine to five, having trouble with your boss, not spending a lot of time with your kids, wishing you could take more control over your life and your schedule, you want to do that through speaking. Shane is your guy. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Shane Sams. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speak Aloud podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Today, we are joined uh, by uh, one of my closest friends on the planet, Mr. Shane Sams, and I'm excited to have this guy. Uh, I, I do a lot of life with this guy, chat with him just about every single day. Uh, he and I, two other guys, are in a uh, bit of a mastermind. We've been in for, I don't know, seven, eight years, something like that. We chat constantly. Partly business, partly life, partly just goofing off and uh, goofing around. And so uh, really excited to have him. He has had a massive explosion in his business in large part due to speaking. So we got a lot to cover today. So Shane, welcome back, my friend. Glad to have you here. I just want everyone to know how hard it was for us to hit record on this podcast. I'm just saying, we may know a lot about speaking around here, but recording on Zoom has been a challenge. <laughs> We have, have, uh, we've tried a lot of different variables. We've tried a lot of different things. We've done hundreds and hundreds of podcasts independently, uh, but getting this one, getting this one was a bit of a mess. But we're here, baby. Let's go. Let's we're here. Let's rock and roll. All right. So uh, you were on episode 388 uh, a little over a year ago or so. And we talked a little bit about your business at the time. Again, I touched on it. Your business has had a massive, massive surge. Uh, and speaking has been a big, big part of that. 
So give us a little context here of how does speaking fit into your enterprise and world today? Yeah, man. So I, I was not always a speaker. Um, didn't even plan to be a speaker. Um, I told, I think I told my story on the last one. So I'll just give a little rundown of what got me at this point. Um, you know, I used to be, um, some years ago, I used to be a school teacher in Southeast Kentucky, um, had a really bad situation at work where I really needed the day off work. Um, I found out something was going on with my son. Um, I needed to investigate um, a, a situation at his daycare and I was already at school and my boss would not let me leave, would not let me have the day off work. Um, and I realized, man, that I had no control over my life, uh, decided in that moment, I would find a way to become and stay self-employed so I could choose when to be there for my family when I wanted to. And, um, that led me down a rabbit hole, bro, that, that I found online business. Um, I became a podcaster. I started creating courses and memberships and selling things online. And, um, I eventually in that gig made enough money to, uh, to quit my job. And uh, my wife did as well. And we both became full-time entrepreneurs. Um, of course, when you quit your job in a small town in Southeast Kentucky, bro, everybody at church Sunday mornings going, what are you doing? Right. So um, a friend of ours actually was like, hey, do you think I could quit my job too? teach me how to make money on the Internet? And we taught her. And that launched my company that I have now. It's called Flip Lifestyle. And uh, where we teach people how to build membership sites, like how to go out and get 100 people to pay you $100 a month, make 10K a month, 120 a year. And we teach members the membership model. And we were just doing that, dude. When I met you, man, like I was a podcaster doing mm -hmm. Flip Lifestyle. Um, we had a couple other businesses. We sold one of those. And I was just, you know, doing my thing in the online world. And it actually, it's funny, speaking came into this um, a couple years ago. Uh, we were out on uh, our trip we take every year on that houseboat. Mm -hmm. and, and I remember driving over there and, a, and an opportunity or two had presented themselves, but especially this one opportunity. And I was like, I need to go out onto other people's stages. I need to spread my message of how we do things, how we help things. And podcasting is great, but I want to be like in front of people. I want to, because right. there's nothing like being on stage, man. Like right, it's right. just with people don't know how you get up there and you're so elevated, not just up above them, but literally people are like, who is this person? And it builds so much trust so fast. So I said, I'm going to go out and I'm going to be a speaker. <laughs> And I'm not just going to be a speaker. I'm going to be a big stage speaker and I'm going to go start seminars and I'm going to teach seminars on the weekends. And, and we're just going to change our whole business model overnight. Right. So, um, we did do that, which is a hundred percent what happened. It's exactly what happened, baby. And it all started right there. I was driving over thinking, I'm going to do this. And, um, uh, so yeah, man, uh, I, that, that's, that's what happened, man. Um, it was, the crazy thing was this all came about like during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I got hooked up with a guy who was trying to start a live event company, even though there were no live events. But um, his theory was it's speaking. It's always going to be here. It's going to come back. And when it does come back, we will be out in front of everybody. We'll be ready. Yeah. And um, so I jumped on this little partnership and we went out and uh, yeah, man, we've been speaking at stadiums and doing seminars all over the country. It's 10 X our business. And, um, you know, every bit of it is from pushing that domino on that big stage, man, to, yeah. to introduce. Well, and when you say people. 10X your business, like that's not hyperbole. Uh, no. Like, I mean, you and I, again, like we touched on, we've been friends for years. Uh, then I had a behind the curtain look at this uh, the whole time. And it is significantly, significantly grown your business through, through multiple, speaking. So, multiple, multiple millions of dollars. 
It's yeah. been staggering. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what we want to spend some time talking about today is how you put together your talks. This is something that you're really passionate about. You've done a great job with. And the nature of a lot of these events that you have been speaking at um, is you do kind of these um, uh, big uh, arena type events where you may have thousands of people. And so in that setting, you might be doing a, a 30, 45, 60 minute keynote. And it's more of kind yep. of a motivational pep talk, get people excited, fired up. Uh, and then that tends to lead into a longer seminar where maybe instead of going from, you know, 5,000 people, maybe there's 500 people in the room and rather than 30 or 45, 60 minutes, maybe it's three days. And so first of all, kind of walk us through like, what is that model? Cause it's not an uncommon model in the speaking yeah. space. So kind of lay out like what people, people are invited to this event and it leads to that event, at least to that event. Like what is that kind of life cycle? Like, yeah, it's all a sales funnel right? Everything is a sales funnel in life, like even speaking. And it's like the, it's like a billboard is a sales funnel. Like you're going down the road. That's kind of the audience. You see McDonald's. Oh, I want to go check that out. You pull in, you look at the menu and you buy something. Yeah. And this is kind of the same model. It's like, we have this big event. Um, you might have a couple celebrity draws. Then you've got a couple people like me that go out there and teach something, but that I have 45 minutes to say, Hey, do you want to learn more? Mm -hmm. um, and at these events, we give the motivation, we give the pep talk at the end of the event, we give everybody there a chance to go to the seminar. The seminar is, uh, ours is two day, but they can be up to three days. And that's like you talking for 16 hours. Like it's all the speaking. It's like creating 16 keynotes back to back to back over two right. days. Right. Um, and then the goal there is of course, to teach them and provide maximum value, but then give them a chance to go buy coaching packages or courses or trainings or some kind of next step. This is really common in the real estate industry. It's really common in the trade industry, like for stocks and things like that. Um, just to be able to go do that education, people like Dan Kennedy, like, you know, these old school guys, they're really good at those seminars too. So, um, but it's really rare and weird to do both. Yeah. Nor normally it's like the stadium is like one group of people who do these really in-depth keynotes because those keynotes are not any keynote. You should be spending, you know, an hour or two every minute of the presentation preparing, right? Just to write the first draft. And then you got to prepare it and perfect it over time. It's got to work in different cities, got to work all over the country, right? Mm -hmm. And then that's a different skill set uh, than the seminar world where you've got to have this stamina, you got to have all this stuff, you're teaching um, a lot of teaching in it. And I actually do both. I, I do both because I, I think I have some unfair advantages where I was a school teacher for so long. Like I'm mm -hmm. used to teaching for eight hours a day. Right. Um, and I have like 10,000 hours of podcasting. So I'm used to talking for an hour at a time and training and teaching. Yeah. Um, so it's been really cool to see it from both sides of the equation. Yeah. So let's jump in on, on kind of both those. Let's start on the keynote side. So you mentioned that's kind of the, you got 45 minutes. It's a very different environment than 16 hours worth of presenting. And so you've got 45 minutes. You want to balance of inspire people, motivate people, teach people, encourage people, challenge people. At this point in the nature of what you do and, and with a lot of keynote speakers is they do largely the same talk. So it's not yep. like every time you're speaking, it's a fresh talk. It's like, no, no, it's like, it's a, it's a, the same talk. And each time you do it, it's probably getting tighter and better. One thing we talk a lot about on the show and, and with the clients that we work with is that when you're creating a new talk, you're making an educated guess. I, I think this is funny. I think this will make sense. I think this will resonate. I think people will like this. 
but you don't know. And when you get up in front of that audience, you get that real-time feedback uh, like, ooh, that worked really well, or that completely bombed, or that was funnier than I anticipated. I need to lean into that more. So talk us through uh, from the beginning of going, all right, I know coming up, I have 45 minutes in front of, a, of an audience, and I know a few rough ideas of what I want to hit on and what I've been hired to present, but you're looking at a blank screen. Like, How do you begin to come up with what should go in those 45 minutes? Two two things. One, like I don't really worry about the humor and the, all that until I've told the story. So I've got to decide the exact narrative, like the beginning, middle and end that I'm going to tell during the keynote talk. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing I do. And I have a really basic framework uh, that I use for all my I actually use this for every email I write. I use it for every podcast I do. I use it for every speech that I give. I even use it for my seminar. Um, and it's based on, you know, we've all, we all, we all read the hero's journey and mm -hmm. Joseph Campbell, and I've studied so much storytelling stuff that it's all in my brain. But the best thing I ever discovered was this thing called the Pixar format. Um, because P Pixar actually sits down with a very simple framework and for every Pixar movie is the same movie, every movie. And if you adjust this just a little bit for stage, um, you can actually do this. So I always start with this framework. It's called, uh, it's, uh, you starts with once upon a time. Right. You got to have a once upon a time. You got to have a long, long ago because you got to trans you got to transport people into the story. Right. Uh -huh. So I always say some years ago. That's what I say. I don't say like 10 years ago because then it might not be relevant to them. Right. I say yeah. some years ago. And all I'm trying to do right there is to transport them where I want them to be. So I'll say I was a school teacher in southeast Kentucky. My wife, Jocelyn, was also a school teacher. My son, Isaac, was three, and my daughter, Anna Jo, was two. So now they know all the characters. They know the setting. They know exactly where they're at. Now they're picturing what Kentucky looks like in their head. So that's once upon a time. Okay, hang on. Now, you also, in the telling of that, there's like a little, like you're a good old Southern Kentucky boy, but there's like yes. some extra Kentucky there. Do you percent lean into that? 100%. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I actually was used to, I used to be scared that people would judge me for my accent because I have an accent. I mean, you hang out with me. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I talk crazy but like like i you want to be 110 percent on stage of what you even are because you're talking you know i talked to at the la convention center to nine thousand people mm -hmm. you you got to make sure the person in the back row knows you got to draw right yeah. it can't be anything about it so you have to project that out into the audience there's a wrestler named stone cold steve austin and he used to say that they had to feel the slap in the top row baby when he hit somebody <laughs> right so i want them to feel the slap of shane sams in the back row y'all you know what i mean so yes you definitely got to lean into that your authenticity man so all right so you start yeah start with uh uh some years ago some years ago so once upon a time so then uh then there's this part of this framework that says until one day so so your life is going to be normal unless something happens um i actually call this the catalyst or the spark it's something that changed the paradigm um and then that right there is you is 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 what made you take the journey that led you to that stage in the first place like for me it was finding out that something was happening to my son at a daycare needing the day off work um, and this is usually my place where I really want to like have high drama, right? So the first part's lighthearted setting the stage. You always want to build rapport with lighthearted setting the stage. And I'm going to go put humor in at the end of this. And then there's where I like really drop the emotion and get everyone to pay attention. Okay. So until one day this happened. So in my story, um, it, uh, I have this part, it's my favorite part of my entire presentation because in the beginning I'm hanging out, I'm having fun. I'm a Kentucky guy. I tell a couple jokes. 
And then there's this part of my story that's really happened where my son was, I was trying to take him to daycare and he was saying, no, daddy, no, daddy. I want to stay with daddy today. And I was like, son, you got to go, man. We got to get you out of this car. And I'm telling, I tell a couple jokes here too. Like I say, I got to get to school. Those kids will burn down the building or start making babies without a teacher in that room. Right. (laughs) So I'm kind of still, they're still laughing. Everybody's really high. And my son actually said this to me. He said, no, daddy, no, daddy. She scares me. And he was trying to tell me that a daycare worker was hurting him, like, right. And in that, but when I do that in my story, again, I, I, this until one day, this is the moment, the line in the sand where the story begins truly. And I say, she scares me. And I do that. I just sit there and pause and 9,000 people, you can hear a pin drop, right? So this until one day has to be the dramatic change in the moment where you've got the whole audience's attention, right? It's not like I'm building attention. I'm going to snatch it right here. Okay. At that point, then it's a chain reaction of events. So I have to decide to do something. And I think that a lot of speakers that I've watched, cause I've been training speakers now for about a year. Um, they don't pre they don't present their decision point early enough in their keynote. And it, you got to make the audience decide way earlier than the conclusion that something's going to happen. Right. So I make, I decided to do something. This is my decision yeah. point. And then after that, everything's a chain reaction because I decided that I went and tried something and I failed. I always do failures first, fail first, right? Because I failed, I learned something else. And that took me to another point. So that's my next, you know, because I did something. And usually I have like three because because of that is what I call them because yeah. of that. It's like, because of that, I did this because of that. I did this because of that. I did this. And that just takes you through the story until you discover the point, the solution, the, whatever the, why are you on stage? You're not just there to talk about yourself. There's a point that had to happen. So I lead my people to the point um, where me and my wife succeeded, where we quit our jobs. Um, and we got to go in and do that. Now that's, that's kind of what most people stop their speeches. They ah, we concluded we won success. Everybody look at me. But most keynotes, most talks need to have the turning point. Like, why are you why are you up here telling me about this? And it's usually like the action you want your audience to take. Maybe your action is you want them to get up and go buy something. Maybe your action is to get up and go to your website. Maybe your action is for them to just get a new habit or go do something. Whatever the point of your talk is. What do you want your audience to be moved to do? Um, we call that the, uh, we call that the since then, since then I help people start online businesses and I've been doing this all over the country and we want to help you too. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you follow that little framework once upon a time until one day, so I decided because of that decision, I did this, but failed because of that decision. I tried again and I found somebody to help me because of that decision. I figured it out. And then I was able to get the accomplishment. And ever since that day, I've been blank. And that's usually helping the audience um, if you're a keynote speaker, right? That framework, bro, is so powerful. And then once you get your initial skeleton, here's what I do then. Then I go in and I add what I call humor points. Where do I need them to laugh? But I don't always, I have jokes that I tell all the time. Like I have a joke I tell at the beginning of my uh, talk that works in every city I've ever been to. Um, I said, my wife told me she want, they wanted me to come speak on this big stage. And I said, they do. And she said, yeah, honey, they do. But listen, there's going to be people up there wearing suits and you're from Kentucky. You ain't got nothing to wear to something like that. And I said, so I, so I did the only thing a good man from Kentucky would ever do. I went down to Walmart and got me a brand new pack of Hanes t-shirts. Right. And then, I, then, and, and then I tell this, other, then I, there's a po- whole part of this joke where it's like, then I end up at a nicer store in Kentucky, JC Penney's, and I buy me a fancy t-shirt with buttons on them and I'm wearing the shirt. 
So I'm like, what do I, and I, and I always go, what do you think Los Angeles? Do I look good? And yeah. I stand, it's like a standing ovation every time this poor old country guy can't figure out how to dress. Right. That's and uh, so you add these like laugh points and then you go back in later and put in the more serious points, right. Where you really want the emotion to go high and low. Uh, but you don't people, I think people try to do that first because they want to be clever, mm. but really you need the story first, the conclusion and the story then you go back and pepper all that stuff. And a lot of my joke points too, I leave open and um, I change the joke every city, right? Like um, like that joke in Los Angeles, I said, these people probably shop at Rodeo Drive. You just a little something for the locals, yeah, yeah. you know? Uh, in Phoenix, I, uh, there's a part of my story where I'm riding on a lawnmower and I'm telling something happened to me. And uh, and I, I'm like, I got out here in Phoenix, Arizona. And, and I said, I looked around, I said, man, in Kentucky, we got bluegrass, but Y'all ain't even got any grass. There ain't no grass in the desert, right? So I always have a little joke for the city. Yeah. Um, so you can pepper that stuff in too. Um, and then when you get it done, dude, you got to refine it. I mean, you got to go in. And I mean, I, I always tell people, put an hour into every minute, you know, think about every minute of your talk for one solid hour and make that so such a tight minute um, that it's good. But I also don't really want you to, mem I don't memorize my speech where I say it verbatim every time. It's, yeah. it's definitely loose. But uh, that's how I prepared the talk itself. And then I get ready for the day. That's that's so good, man. Uh, okay, a bunch of questions here. One would be uh, a mistake that I see a lot of speakers make is they have some, you know, quote unquote, rags to riches, overcoming obstacles story. And like you kind of alluded to, like, that's it. And so an audience always wants to think through like, so what and now? Like, what does this have to do with me? So how do you think about making sure that you you are helpful to the audience? And it's not just like, Hey, check out this story. I used to be a teacher. I hated my life and now mm -hmm. my life is awesome. And look at me, you know? So how do you make sure that it points back to the audience and is clear for them of yep. here's how this can be possible for you too. So what, again, it's all, it's all like, um, it's like how the ancient painters used to paint over and over. And they say like, there's a thousand brushstrokes on this hair or whatever. Right. Yeah. As you keep building on top of your presentation, you've got the original story. You go back and you have to add emotion. Emotion has to come in at this point because the, the, they need to go on a ride. You got to make them yeah. feel something, right? But then I go back and I put in what I call check-ins. On uh, If you're like an online person and you do like webinars or sales, these might be called trial closes. Mm -hmm. So I have these I have these check-in moments where I'm making sure that the audience is all – and this is actually for me too because I need that feedback. Um, I'm making sure they're getting what I'm saying. Like I got another joke where I say – um, you know, we had a good enough life back then. We were living paycheck to paycheck, but we got paid every other Friday and that dang thing ran out every other Thursday. Y'all ever had a paycheck like that? And I just stop and make sure that they get to respond to that moment. I'm checking in. So it's not, I'm telling my story so that they can see it in their own life, mm -hmm. right? Like I have another part of my story um, where I had a bad boss. My boss was like, just a, she was, a, she was terrifying. Like I, I tell a little joke where like when she walked down the halls, everybody parted like Moses in the red sea, like a bad boss. And like how she was cruel and like, just mean, and I have this funny picture I show that's like, looks like a bad boss would look, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I say things like y'all ever had a bad boss. And like, so th my story is that kind of deal. So I'm, I'm checking in with them constantly throughout the thing probably every couple minutes or so just to be like, you know what I mean? Are you getting this? Are you doing, and I'm saying, and, and whatever, whatever I want them to feel like, 
you know, when I'm mowing my grass, like everybody's always, everybody has cut their grass, right? Yeah. So I use pictures that are in a, what's it called? First person, not third person. I don't show a guy on the lawnmower. I show a picture of someone looking down at their hand on the wheel. Mm. And I'm just checking in, checking in to make sure that they see themselves like in this story. And if you're doing anything like this too, you know, weaving in other people's stories toward the end after you've finished is good too, because you want people to see other versions of what you just told them very quickly. Yeah. So you can have some more proof in that. So th- I do check-ins, but that again, not in the beginning, you got to tell the story, add emotion, then go back with your paintbrush again and say, I'm going to check in every about 90 seconds to make sure they know it's not just my story. I'm telling them I'm inserting them into it with me. Now let's shift gears as it relates to the humor side of it. You mentioned this is one of those things you kind of go back in, you kind of add it in as a garnish there. Uh, you and I outside of speaking both like humor. We use a lot of humor. We're just hanging out. We like making jokes. Uh, I've spent a lot of time with you. You just telling a story, shooting from the hip. It's you're a, a hilarious, funny storyteller. So how do you think about like incorporating humor when like, in your case, you're naturally very funny and other people may be like, I would love to incorporate humor, but I'm not, I don't have that personality or I'm not nearly as funny as you, or I don't know what is funny or not funny. So how do you think about humor? And even like we touched on before, where even if you have a joke idea, like you don't know until you get up in front of an audience, if yep. it's going to be funny or not. Uh, yep. So how do you kind of think about humor and how that incorporates with your own personality? So the first thing about humor is you really don't know. And the only way to do it is the reps. You got to say it. Um, it's why I kind of think every speaker should definitely have a podcast yeah, yeah. because you need a place to just practice and say things out loud. And if you make yourself laugh or if a, if a listener laughs, so get the find ways to get reps that are not 9,000 people and a lot on the line. Okay. Um, another thing too, is like, I don't write all my jokes in isolation. Like my wife, Jocelyn is actually like her, she actually crafts, I start the joke, but she usually can come in and make it better because she's, is a drier, more like introverted person. And like, if you can make her laugh, we know that it's going to kind of work. Yeah. Another thing, another thing I do too, is I think I don't tell a lot of jokes unless they're pointed back at me. Mm -hmm. Right. So my funny stuff is more pointed back at me because I think it's easier to tell a joke that gets a laugh to the crowd when you've already because you get to set up why it's funny. Like I get to set up, you know, some years ago, I'm a guy from Kentucky and then I'm telling them I'm going to Walmart to dress up for a big speech. That makes total sense. And I'm kind of pointing back at me. Yeah, plays into the stereotype. It plays into the stereotype. So I can tell the joke and I really do shop at Walmart before I get my clothes. I'm wearing Walmart sweatshirt right now, baby. But like, you know, it's like, but it's like, and and like, that's another thing too, is like the more true you can make it, the closer to you. If you're just trying to write a joke, it's probably not going to land. And especially if you're telling it out the audience and, um, and also too, man, go for the cheap pop, dude, find something that's funny about a place you're speaking at and just go for the cheap pop. It It always works. Like that Phoenix joke killed. You know, I listened to this one. I was in San Diego and I was like, uh, and I've been down there and you know, the La Jolla, you ever heard Uh of La Jolla before? So I pulled up, I had a picture of me and my wife in La Jolla, right? During my talk. And I wrote the words on there, La Jolla. And I looked up and I said, is that La Jolla or La Jolla? And that killed. It just absolutely crushed. Right. So like I get, I got to play into the stereotype, have a little bit of fun. And it was, it was a safe joke. So um also two keynotes last thing on this 
Um, you're not a stand-up comedian. You don't have to tell jokes all the time. Yeah. Um, have fun with it. Like it's just like hanging out. Like have have some fun with the people you're talking to. And um, and when you find a joke that works in more than one city, bring it with you everywhere you go because it'll probably work just about anywhere. Yeah. All right. Let's shift gears and talk about that's the the 45 minute keynote. Uh, and prepping for that, where there's intentionality that goes into every single word. When you're doing a 16-hour <laughs> seminar over two days, that's a very, very different context. Uh, and so how do you think about the differences between the two? You know, I, I we've talked about this before, being podcasters, being speakers, done this, just me and you off air. Like, you know, you got to have, you know, that a great speaker is going to have the elevator version of their story, the mm -hmm. over dinner version of their story and the hangout for four hour version of their story. So I actually start the seminar, man, the same way. Um, I think of the narrative that's going to run through the whole weekend, right? Whether that's a teaching framework um, or a uh, storytelling framework or whatever it is, I'm going to, I'm going to lay that out over the whole thing. So it's still the same kind of thing. What's the story I'm trying to tell? Where's it going to start? Where are we going to end? Right. And then I'm going to fill in the things. So once upon a time, because of that, because of that. now what's cool is like this framework I've got, you know, there's a part of my story where I have to go out and build a business, right? Well, that's awesome. Like on stage, I only got to say, so we started a business yeah. and maybe a little bit about it. But when I get to that place, if I want to do that over 16 hours, I just expand that and tell them how I did it. Right. So really it's the difference of telling people what you did compared to telling people how you did it. And you get to like flesh things out and expand it. Um, and then once I get the whole narrative of the whole weekend, that the whole story that I want to tell, then I just look at it in one hour chunks. Um, I really look at one hour chunks at a time and say, okay, well, if this is where we are in the full narrative at this point, what has to happen in the next 45 minutes to get me to the next hour? Okay. And then what, what are they going to learn? What are they going to get? Why are they going to, why are they going to be invested still and move forward? You know, when we get to the end of this hour, like if I have a yeah. break, why are they going to come back? So that's pretty much it. And then each little hour in between there can become another version of that. So if you've got the big narrative all the way for the weekend mm -hmm. and like hour one has to be like, you know, everybody starts with why or something, right? Like, why are you doing this? Why are you here? All I got to do is, is accomplish that. I got to tell that micro story within it. And I just break it out into chunks. But then I hate to tell everybody this. If you want to be a seminar speaker, you still got to go put back and put the hour into every minute of all 16 hours of the two day event. If you want it to do what you want it to do, like yeah. you're going to have to keep working, keep refining and keep going uh, with it. But it took me like, I'd say it took me like 10 events to really get that part dialed in. That was a long I mean, you watched me do it for a year, you know, yeah. um, that's a long process to do that. So you, you can't do it all at once. You got to get the whole narrative and then break it into hour chunks. And let me, uh, here's a funny story. No matter how good of a speaker you are, you cannot predict how long it's going to take you to say things. Right. So the, <laughs> like the first one I ever did, I was like, I got this. I've got 16 hours in the can. This is going to be amazing. I'm sitting there. I roared through the whole thing on day one and whole I'm. Thing. The whole thing. And me and Jocelyn, I was staying up, freaking out. We're in a hotel room. My wife was with me. And she's like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. So I was like making PowerPoints that night as fast as I could. Just anything I could think up. I totally messed everything up. And it was about one o'clock, dude. I just completely ran out of words to say. And I still had four hours left of this thing. And like, But if you're a speaker, 
you don't have a choice. You got to yeah. speak, baby. So I just looked around and we had this thing. It was, it was a book about our entire business. And I just picked it up like a Baptist hymnal and slammed it on the podium. And I said, everybody open to page two. And with as much authority as I could muster, I just started reading out of this thing. Like I'd planned to do it the whole time. <laughs> and like, it was just crazy that I just like did a Q and a for an hour and a half. And, uh, but, uh, it was so funny because this guy who had been in the speaking industry forever, he comes up and goes, I've never seen anybody do that, man. That was so powerful, dude. That was brilliant when you opened that book and started reading. And I said, and I, 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 did, I didn't tell him that I didn't do it, yeah, yeah. but I learned something in that moment. The audience never knows what you're going to say. Yeah, yeah. So just keep saying it and you'll be all right. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's so true. I always talk about how uh, if, if you're at a sporting event and they're singing the national anthem and someone butchers the lyrics, like everybody knows because you know what the lyrics are supposed to be. But if you're giving a speech and you get things out of order or you forget a point or, uh, you forgot some key, like nobody knows, nobody has a script. Nobody's following nobody. along. Like you are up there, uh, you know, walking a tightrope without a net and you just, nobody knows the difference. You just keep, keep moving forward. So in, in that context though, uh, how much of these 16 hours are you actually speaking versus how do you think about like, are you having any interactions or hey, yeah. take 10 minutes and work at your table on this? Because one, a one human speaking for 16 hours over two days is a lot of material. And two, it's really like, no matter how good you are, it's really, really hard for just a human to maintain that attention span of listening yeah. to that. So how do you like think through I teach, I break it up, I do Q&A, I do bathroom breaks, I let people talk amongst themselves, I let people just work in silence. Like, how do you think about all of that? So so kind of an unfair advantage I have is like, I actually have a master's degree in teaching and mm. like curriculum. I actually did my master's uh, stuff on uh, PowerPoint presentations. And so like one thing- And you know, it, it, was, it was effective because you called it, I did my master's stuff. Yeah, PowerPoint. my master's, yeah, whatever it was. I don't remember. That was a long time ago, bro. It was about 20-something <laughs> years ago, dude. I, I'm just glad I got the piece of paper hanging on the wall. I don't even know my what I did. master's stuff. My master's thesis. Well, I, I forgot the words. It don't matter. I ain't using it for anything anyway except this, okay? <laughs> but, like, I, so, like, I actually, like, during that, when I was studying all that research, like, it was, I, I, attention span was a really big part of that whole presentation that I did. Because, and, like, for kids, like, I knew that, like, as a teacher, if you're teaching 15-year-olds, usually attention span is about a minute per year that they're old, right? And if you extrapolate that and you get in a room full of 30 to 50-year-olds, you're going to only be able to hold their attention for any block of time somewhere between 30 and 50 minutes, probably mm -hmm. on average. So what we do is, one, I have checkpoints just like I do with my keynote speech. I, I have check-ins planned in about every five to 10 minutes with them. And then we stop about every 45 to 50 minutes to do a activity that's related to the last um, session. So when you're doing a seminar, I think, uh, uh, one, people come to a keynote to get inspired. They come to a seminar to get equipped. They want to learn something. People should be able to leave your seminar. Honestly, people should be able to leave your seminar, and they could probably go figure out what you're going to do. It would just take them a long time. Yeah. If you're selling something at the seminar, that's gonna you're going to sell them a way to do it easier, faster, less mistakes, not alone. So we actually lay it out just like that. We build the thing, uh, the plane while we're flying it at the seminar. So we'll go for about 45 minutes, stop doing activity in groups, um, to get, let everybody get up and go do their thing. Uh, I always leave a little cliffhanger at the end of what we're going to do next before the break. So they're excited to come back. I always tell them what's going to happen when they come back. They do the activity, they come back. So we go through that flow, break for lunch, come back, 45 minutes, 45 minutes, 
45 minutes, leave a hook at the end. So they come back in the morning. Um, same thing. We're constantly open and closing the hooks at the end of those. But yeah, it's not straight through. We stop and uh, do that. Also, too, um, um, I'll have another voice each day get up there, like after lunch, uh, because after lunch, people are kind of sleepy because they're coming back and they just ate and all that. So usually we'll throw somebody else up there, whether it's like a interview or a case study, one of my team, anybody, it doesn't matter. We had a guy that was really good at drawing one time and he just got up there and uh, taught everyone in the room how to draw Batman after lunch. <laughs> uh, that's all we did. So just kind of a pattern interrupt. But um, yeah, breaking it up like that's really good because you're, you're not you can't just spit. A lot of speakers like to hear themselves talk. Yeah. And they want to go an hour and a half, two hours in a row. And that's just not effective at all and it's not it's not good for the for the actual listener even though the speaker may feel good about it so um you, about every 45 uh, minutes when you're doing a 45 minute talk it feels like every single minute needs to be like super super polished and i really need to think through like word choice and structure and you know this leads to this and it's got to be super tight and it's got to be super concise uh and and you have the natural constraints that allows you to do that when you've got 16 hours you got a little bit more wiggle room so are you a bit more loose whenever it comes to you know how i'm going to present or an idea or i'm going to kind of you know almost workshop this live on stage and it's a bit more free flowing or is it still pretty polished and dialed for mm. every minute how do, how do you think about that I think I'm actually probably more polished in the seminar. Really? Yeah. Because so like the way I prep for the big stage, um, I usually don't do any prep the week before I go talk on a keynote type situation. I just, I will listen to my last talk a couple of times, like on a walk, just to hear what I said last time. Cause it might be like three weeks in between talks and I haven't really thought about it since then. I will go back and listen to the last one. Um, the, the, on the plane ride out, I'll look through my slides, make sure I don't have to change anything right for that city like i put the lajala sign in right yeah and, yeah something like that just a little touch up there and then i actually get up in the morning i'll say it a couple times in the hotel room and like then i don't do anything but the before i go out for about an hour i just go over the first minute that's all i have to think in my head because if you get the first minute you can have fun right just don't don't fump don't trip up the stairs on the way to the stage and you're okay yeah. is your is your fly up you're good okay right but on the other one, the seminar, the problem there is that thing can get away from you if you get off on tangents because you got 100 people. They're sitting 200 people sitting right in the front row with you. They're asking questions and that thing can get away and you'll look up and you have been talking an hour and a half. Now you're behind. Are you going to get all the words in? So that one actually, from a time perspective, is probably more dialed in because when you're when you're you're the maestro up there on yeah. top and you're coordinating 200, 300 people for two straight days, your team is there, you're leading them at the same time. Like that thing can get away from you really fast, like really bad. So I think that one's probably in a weird way. You wouldn't think you'd be able to memorize 16 hours of stuff as, as tight as it is, but that one has to be dialed in because you're also doing so many other things at the same time. You, uh, you touched on one other thing there of uh, in terms of, okay, I've, I've got my talk, whether it's a 45 minute or a 16 hour presentation and I'm kind of leading up to the um, backstage or I'm in the hotel room. You mentioned in terms of like walking through the talk a time or two, uh, anything else that you do to prep or even like walking through, like, what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, mm. uh, like give us the final moments leading up to giving your presentation again, 45 minutes or 16 hours. What, what are you doing? What is that process like? So for the keynote, uh, my exact presence, the exact process I do is uh, whatever time I speak, I've, I've, sometimes you speak in the morning, sometimes the afternoon, whenever it is, but I make sure I get up in the morning early enough 
to pour a cup of coffee. I turn some music on, you know, just some kind of pump up music, like more exciting stuff. And I actually say it out loud at the desk in my hotel room, wherever I'm at. I say it out loud one time because I need to usually whatever that, you know, because sometimes people will be like, you got 35 minutes or you got 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I want to say it out loud and get it in the time. And then I always go for a walk with no slide deck and say it out loud because you don't know when your text going to go out. You have to be able to say it without the slides and be able mm-hmm. to do the same thing. So I do that in the morning. I don't touch it until an hour before I'm about to go out. Um, I actually have another trick too. I show up in my clothes that I wear on stage, but I have two sets of them because I know I'm going to sweat all day and I change about 45 minutes before into the same clothes I've had on all day. So nobody knows it, but I just go out and I'm not sweaty. So that's, that's a pro tip right there. That's amazing. <laughs> so, yep. And so I change clothes and then literally for 45 minutes, I go, how y'all doing? I'm Shane Samson. I say the first minute, how y'all doing? I'm, I get through the first minute because um, buddy of ours, Mike Pacioni, you know, he, he mm-hmm. was always like, can you get on stage and off stage? Anything in the middle is going to work out. And, um, so I always go over the first minute. I always go over that over and over. So I can just walk out with so much dominance in that first second, first words out of my mouth that I'm so confident in that first minute that I can make up the rest if I have to, yeah. you know? So that, that's exactly how I prep for that. The seminar is a little different, um, because I know stamina is going to be really important. So I go to bed, uh, I usually, uh, will kind of go over it in my hotel room, um, at the seminar and I'll go over everything the night before, but I'm really trying to get in bed early. Um, and I'm popping a couple of melatonin to make sure that I do sleep. Um, and I go to sleep and I get up in the morning and I actually don't touch the presentation at all on the seminar because my mind is going to be so fixated on it for so long. Like 15 more minutes isn't going to help. It's more like get up, get some exercise have a cup of coffee, listen to some music. Sometimes I'll even just watch like random YouTube videos um, to kind of get my mind off of the presentation. And then it's in the seminar space, I'm more interested in instead of preparing for the talk and meeting people as they're coming in. Like I'm the speaker, but it's not like you're on the stage speaker separated from them. You want to be, I want to meet everybody in the front tables, everybody in those second tables, get my anchors of who I'm going to look at all day and really feel the the connection with the relationships I got with the crowd because it's so much more intimate. Yeah. Um, so that's how I get ready for the seminar in the morning, right up. And then when we start, I, Hey y'all, thanks for being here. Let's go. Got a lot. We got a lot, a lot to cover. Let's you mentioned, um, uh, especially with those 16 hour seminars, stamina, anything that you do just to protect your voice. Um, and, Ooh. and from a fatigue standpoint, anything you eat, don't eat, drink, don't drink. Um, the just, I mean, Six. I mean, even if you, again, you're not talking the whole time, let's say you do 10 hours of speaking, it's just a lot of talking for any human. So yeah. anything that you do there that kind of helps just so you're not losing your voice. Well, on well luckily I was two. a college and high school football coach for 10 years and I've scarred all my vocal cords into submission. <laughs> but um, um, no, I do. The, the, I try not, if I'm going to do a seminar like that weekend, um, I my team, I'm like, don't schedule podcasts. I got to cut down meetings. Like I can't talk all week. Um, another thing I don't do is I don't go to my kids sporting events if I can avoid it the week of an, of a seminar. Cause I'm going to be like, let's go, you know, like I'm going to blow my voice out before I even get there. Um, but man, just so much water, just as much water. That's, I mean, everybody tells you like, honey, this lozenge that dude, it's just gallons of water, like for the yeah. first two or three days going into it. And then I do not drink caffeine at the seminars, um, until the second day after lunch, because caffeine seems to dry me out a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I'm just 
chugging water as much water as possible. You know, I might have a cup of coffee at like 5 a.m. four hours before I go out on stage, but yeah. I need to wa- I need to wash it down and get all that out of there. So yeah. yeah. Oh, and here's another thing I do. I don't eat on seminar days until after I'm done each evening. Not at um, all. Not at all. I don't know. I, I, I would eat and I would just feel weird. I'm talking so much. Like, so I do like kind of intermittent fasting on seminar weekends. I'll eat like a, a lot on Friday, um, like while I'm traveling and stuff. So eat some junk food, have a good dinner. But then like I just don't, I might have protein at lunch, but nothing else. Then I try not to eat until dinner time on both those days. And I find my, I find my stamina is better because I think I'm hungry and I want to finish and I'm like, let's go. Like I'm so I'm like my body just taps into the reserves going into the evening. So I'm sure That's some amazing. nutritionist is gonna yell at me for that. Shane, this has been super insightful, helpful, man. I appreciate the uh, practical uh, advice and tips uh, from someone that's that's making a a killing, a huge impact, huge income with speaking. Uh, Again, like I shared at the beginning, thank the world of you, man, and uh, appreciate you. If people want to find out more about you, uh, where can can people go? Yeah, man. Um, Always check out my podcast if you want to learn how to make money online or even stuff you can do after you speak to monetize your speaking at a higher level. That's what we do. Um, over at Flipped Lifestyle. And if everybody goes to flippedlifestyle.com slash speaker, flippedlifestyle.com slash speaker, I will actually give them uh, the seminar session where I teach my entire storytelling framework that I talked about earlier. Mm. Um, I actually teach it live and I've got an onstage presentation about that. So everybody can go watch that and use it to craft their own talk that they get up on stage with. Awesome. Appreciate it, brother. Always good to chat with you. Thanks, brother. Hey friend, are you ready to get serious about taking your speaking business to the next level? Maybe you are someone who is looking for ways to book more paid gigs, or maybe you're trying to figure out all the different things that go into building a successful speaking business. Or perhaps you are an experienced speaker who wants to scale your speaking business to multiple six figures. If that's you, I'd encourage you to visit thespeakerlab.com slash call. Again, thespeakerlab.com slash call and book a free, no obligation call with our team. And if you're not quite ready to take that leap, I don't want you to hesitate in checking out all the free resources that we have available to you on our website, including this podcast. So head over to thespeakerlab.com. Again, thespeakerlab.com. Find hundreds of blog posts, how-to guides, podcast episodes, email scripts, proposal templates, and so much more. Finally, I got a big favor. I would love for you to leave us a rating or review for this podcast. We read every single one, and it also helps other speakers find valuable free resources that they can use to build their own speaking careers. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.